Good evening. How are we? Hands up if you're good. Hands up if you're a sinner saved by Jesus. Okay, it's good. Five guys, that's my favorite place for food at the minute. Any other five guys, people? Yep. Was it you that dragged me there, Nathan? I think it was, yeah. Um, last week, maybe the week before, can't quite remember, Mandy and my wife and I had a, a serious dilemma in our marriage. Something came up and it was a tough moment. We'd planned a, a date night and we were thinking of going out. And the question on the table was this. Do we go to the cinema to see Death of Stalin or Paddington? (laughs) I'm not saying who chose which. You can maybe guess. So we wrestled with that question. Sometimes relationships are hard. The reality is that you've never had a relationship that didn't in some way challenge you or disappoint you. Tonight we continue um, hashtag how to relationship, which has been an amazing few weeks. And what we're going to unpack tonight is why are there tough times in relationships? And particularly, why are there tough times in marriages? I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. There's a guy in the Bible with a great name. The Apostle Paul, if you had asked him to take a personality test, he would have scored high on something like jerk with issues. He was a guy full of relational problems. Bitter, violent, short on mercy, full of anger. And yet he encounters Jesus and becomes a loving, caring man full of grace. In fact, he is so changed by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that he writes in his letter to Timothy, whom he had led to faith in Jesus and influenced and discipled. He said, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Here is a guy who at one point in his life struggled deeply with relationships, now talking about someone else who he says, I love you in Jesus and I pray for you for grace, mercy and peace from God to be be yours. Then Paul goes on in the same chapter and he says this, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What I'm about to read, if this resonates with you, will you please shout out amen? Are you with me? Yeah, Paul says here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. (laughs) Paul didn't say I was the worst. He said I am the worst. He's towards the end of his life. And he's still humbled and thankful for God's grace, but still realizes that he has issues in his heart. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
but for this very reason, I was shown mercy. Anybody been shown mercy this evening by God? For this reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Like Paul, like my namesake, I've been in relationships. I discovered this morning, this dawned on me, I've been in relationships since I was born. <laughs> you start life in relationship. And I look back over my life, dating, often, and it was often messy. Married, twice. And at times, just messy. Like my namesake, Paul, in the Bible, I can say, I'm the worst of sinners. But Christ came into the world to save me. Christ came into the world to save me from myself. And I stand before you this evening to open a topic about relationships and sin and difficulties and hope and grace. And I want you to see in my life God's grace. I am before you tonight as an example of God's grace and his amazing patience towards me. You can say amen to that. It's okay. I stand here only by God's grace. I have messed up so many relationships. There is rubbish in my past I wish wasn't there. But Christ came to save me, to save me from my sin and to save me from myself. So tonight, as we unpack this, I want you to hang in with me whoever you are and wherever you're at in life. This tonight is for all marriages. Your marriage tonight is going in one of two directions. It's either going towards bitter or better. By God's grace, even a good marriage can get better. Do you agree with that? It's for all marriages. It's for all of us because we are in relationships. So maybe tonight when I talk about marriage, you just think of you and relationships, family, friends. Most of you in this room tonight will at one point be married. I wish what I'm about to preach somebody had told me before I got married. So prepare yourself and think ahead. What can I learn tonight that will prepare me to be a good husband or a good wife. This is for all marriages. It's for all relationships. It's for everyone in the room. Let me tell you tonight that even if you are in this room tonight and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I have got massive good news. God the Father loves you and pursues you and wants you to be in a relationship with him. That is the greatest relationship on planet earth and it is one that will last for eternity. It trumps even the best marriage. And you may be here tonight and that is not yet your experience. I pray that tonight you will bow the knee before Jesus and know the Father's love. Let me pray before we unpack God's word. Father, I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that you are a speaking God. Help us listen this evening. Where there is mess, where there are things that have just got tangled up, God, help us just to listen for your voice tonight. God, one word from you begins to unravel the mess. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fill this room. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and be our counselor. Come and point us to Jesus. I ask, Father, for your help as I speak, that your grace will be upon me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight, the title that um, God has placed on my heart is this. For better, for worse, taking out your rubbish and bringing in God's hope. For better, for worse, taking out your rubbish, bringing in God's hope. Four things I want to unpack with you over the next few minutes. Where do we find hope for our marriage? What is my greatest relational problem? What do tough times in marriage really look like? And how can we apply God's hope into our marriages? Let's start with hope. Say the word hope with me tonight. Hope. Say it loud. Say it clear. Hope. Where do we find hope? For our relationships. Right out of the blocks this this evening, I want to start with hope. Not statistics, but I start with hope that God, by His Spirit, will breathe His hope into your life. Your marriage does not need to move towards bitter, it can, with God's help, move towards better. Hebrews 4. Verse 12 and 13, the verses are going to come up on this screen. And when they come up, I want you to read them with me. Can I have the verses? Are you ready to say these verses with me? As we begin, about, as we begin to think about taking out the rubbish and bringing in God's hope. Here's Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13. Say it with me. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I believe with all my heart that the best marriage counselor is God. And he is our best hope. And when we unpack his word as we do this evening, his word does something to us. Nothing in your marriage is hidden from God. Your marriage is not something that you made so much as a gift that God has entrusted to you. 
And therefore, you are accountable to God for how you handle the gift that is called marriage. I have a question for you, those of you who are married. Hands up if you're married. Okay, here's the question. I want an honest answer. Who in your marriage takes out the rubbish? Alex, you do. Say again. Okay. Hands up, the rest of you who are married. Danny, who takes out the rubbish? You do. Okay. Nathan, you do. Are you sure about that? All the time. Do you do it with joy? Definitely. (laughs) Taking out the rubbish was one of those things that Mandy and I had to negotiate. It's a man's job. Whoa. So taking out the rubbish, hands up if you think it's a man's job. All the women said, amen. Hands up if you think it's a woman's job. Ooh, whoa. Men, man, you've got a calling on your life. Take out the rubbish. I stand convicted. And I love my wife but I don't like rubbish. So here, God's word does something to us. It gets into our heart and it begins to expose in our marriages some of the rubbish that has accumulated. And I don't know what the rubbish is in your marriage tonight. But over time, you have accumulated rubbish. And as we go through this evening, I believe God in his grace, by his spirit, through his word, is going to start pointing some things out that are in your rubbish. And he's going to do that, but listen, he's going to then ask you to take the rubbish out. God doesn't take the rubbish out, you do. He'll show you the rubbish, but you need to take the rubbish out. Some of you tonight, and there's toxic waste in your marriage. And unless you deal with that, unless you get rid of the rubbish, it's going to kill your marriage. But this is where hope starts, that we understand before God what the rubbish is. And then we take the rubbish out and we bring in God's hope. Hebrews 4 verse 16 continues. Let's read Hebrews 4 16 with me. You ready? Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Take out the rubbish and bring in God's hope. What does that hope look like for my marriage? That hope looks like because I believe in Jesus, I go to God with confidence. I draw near intentionally to him and I pray for my marriage. And I pray for my wife. Those of you who are married, do you pray for each other? Do you pray with each other? Mandy and I are on that journey just trying to learn how to pray better with each other. 
If you agree with me this evening as a married couple that you should be praying, say amen. But some of you I know are struggling. God says in Jesus' name we have confidence to come to him, to draw near to a throne of what? A throne of grace. So I come and I've got rubbish and there's stuff that's gone wrong. And together, what a privilege. Together we bow our knee before God and we find a throne of grace. A throne of grace where we receive mercy. We find grace in our time of need. The more you draw near to God, the better your marriage will be. The more you draw near to God, the better your marriage will be. Seated on the throne of grace, God gives freely his mercy and grace that you need. And we'll talk about applying his grace and mercy at the end. I took time this week to email a number of couples in our church. And I asked them, could you honestly just share with me what are some of the tough times in your marriage? And can you honestly share what way you find hope to cope with that? I asked young, recently married couples. And they replied. I asked couples who were kind of maybe a few years, 10 years or more married. And I asked some of the elderly couples in our church. All of them. All of them had been through tough times. They talked about financial pressures. They talked about work issues. They talked about the issue of criticism in their marriage. They talked about being hurt. They talked of fights. They talked of pressure on many sides on their marriage. They talked of kids and sleepless nights. They talked of health. They talked of death. They talked of loss. And all of them All of them without fail said that whatever the tough time was like, how we coped, how we went through that season was simply that we sought God. We came to God in worship and we came to God in prayer, finding his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his blessing on our marriage. So guys, tonight, you've got some rubbish. You need to take it out. As you take it out, then press into God and bring in God's hope for your marriage. Amen? Second question. What is my greatest relational problem? I want you to imagine the following scene. A Graham, I'm a Graham, a Graham extended family weekend away. I'm part of a family um, who are all, almost everybody, are exceptional cooks. 
We've got French. We've got a bit of Italian. We've got some Scottish. And we've got the Irish. Say amen for the Irish. I want you to imagine a weekend away. And in the many wonderful, creative cuisine that our family can produce, there is in our family a dish which is a thing of glory. It is a taste of heaven. It is the food the angels eat. It is the food that we will eat in heaven. It is my French toast. (laughs) Don't laugh. It is so good. I'm telling you, we will be eating it in heaven. And imagine a weekend away and it's a Saturday lunch and I, as the father, as the patriarch of the family, I've stayed in, they've gone out and I've stayed in and I will make you lunch. And I will make for you all the glory that is my French toast. Taste and see that Paul is good. (laughs) And then, then it happens. My nephew, fully supported by his mum, says, can we have beans on toast? And I know, I know it shouldn't happen. I know I'm a Christian, I'm a church leader, but it happens and in my flesh, I want to take a slice of the French toast and slap him. I've never done it. I've thought about it. In that moment, what's happening? A relational problem is raising its head. It's me. I want everybody to enjoy my French toast. I want my family to be amazed at me. I want to be at the center. I want to be liked. I want them to say, wow, isn't that amazing? In a word, I'm selfish. My greatest relational problem is me. I'm selfish. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15 Paul says that Christ, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. If you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage and you are living for yourself, you are going to destroy your marriage. Selfishness is me living for me. I believe it is at the root of every marriage difficulty. And over time and subtly and you don't realize it, you shrink your our world to me. Marriage becomes about me, my needs, my happiness. Make me happy. I want, I want, I want, I want. My greatest relational problem is me. As I thought of that in preparation for this evening, two thoughts came. 
the DNA of sin and selfishness. The deepest hurts come when we are selfish. Tell me, who was David, King David in the Bible, who was he thinking of when he betrayed his wife and committed adultery with Bathsheba? He wasn't even, wasn't even thinking of Bathsheba. He's thinking about himself. Selfishness destroys. And sometimes in Christian marriages, that selfishness leads to an expectation that we put on our spouse that he or she is our Messiah, that he or she meets my deepest spiritual needs. Listen. The Trinity is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you must not expect your wife or your husband to be the fourth person of the Trinity. And some of you put too much weight on your wife or your husband. Instead of finding your deepest relational, emotional, and spiritual needs in God, you're putting weight that is not supposed to be put on your husband or wife. My greatest relational problem is me. And that selfishness that so easily raises its head destroys my relationships. Do you agree with me this evening that we thrive when we love God and love others? Say amen to that. We thrive. We are wired to thrive when we love God and when we love others, not ourselves. We self-destruct when the focus is on us. Perhaps somebody here tonight needs to hear this. You... You can walk out on your marriage because you're not getting what you demand. And you can try to skip what you find to be an unpleasant marriage. But you will never escape yourself. You need to deal with the rubbish and the selfishness that's there. Please hear my heart. You are your greatest relational problem. So having thought of these two introductory thoughts about where we find hope, we take out rubbish, we bring in God's hope, and having thought of the greatest relational problem being each one of us, I want us now very, very practically to begin to unpack what do tough times look like? What do tough seasons look like in marriage? Can I just right from the start dispel the myth that because we are Christians that we shouldn't have tough times? If that's what you believe, you will be shocked because a Christian marriage is what? It's two sinners saying, I do. 
We're not saints yet. We're not perfect. It's two sinners coming together. And there will be tough seasons. Tough seasons are a reality. It's why we make vows. Hands up if you're married and you can remember the vows you made. It's why we make vows. For richer, for poorer. For better, for worse. In sickness, in health. We know there will be tough times. Let me unpack what some of those tough times look like. The first, perhaps the most common one is this, arguments. But you and your spouse will disagree. Anybody here who's married never had a disagreement? If you put your hand up, I will call you a liar. Everybody disagrees. Some people might even use the word fight. It depends whether you have a good disagreement or a bad one. A good fight or a bad fight. <laughs> I asked one of my friends, James Trar, for some thoughts on, t- on this evening. And he said, in terms of arguments, the best way... James is planting a church in Hong Kong. James said, the best way to end an argument in a marriage is... One of you goes naked. (laughs) End of argument. I have not tried that. Okay, we'll move on quickly. (laughs) Arguments. John um, Gotham um, is a marriage counselor guy, a secular guy, but... He talks in some of his research of the four horsemen. Taking the image from Revelation, the four horsemen. And how not to disagree. There is a good way to disagree and there is a wrong way. This is the wrong way. And here are the four horsemen he talks about. Criticism. Criticism is when I make my spouse feel attacked. When I use a tone of voice that makes them feel rejected, that hurts them. Criticism. Contempt. Contempt is disrespect. In the disagreement, I have lost respect. I'm sarcastic. I roll my eyes, I sigh, perhaps I name call. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness. It's not my fault. You should have known. You should have noticed. It's your fault. And I become defensive. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness. The last one, stonewalling. That's evading to talk about the issue. Obstructing any constructive conversation. 
Silence. 85% of the time in marriage when stonewalling happens, it's the guys who cause it. Gottman suggests that these four horsemen are leading many marriages to a place of no hope. I refuse to believe that marriage is beyond hope because God is a God of hope. And no matter where you are tonight, if you listen to his voice, if you take out the rubbish and bring in his grace, your marriage can get better. Second common issue in the tough times manifests itself in this. Less frequent lovemaking. We've talked about the beauty that is the gift of sex in the context of marriage. Thank God for it. To have an amen. To have a hopeful amen from those of you who are single. It is a gift. It's a good thing. That physical act is very deeply tied to emotional relationship. You can't have one without the other. And very, very often as things creep into a marriage, people become emotionally detached. And then lovemaking becomes infrequent. Lovemaking third very common and tragic tough season situation is infidelity first of all it starts emotionally someone shared with me in what they talked about this week with me how that so easily this person had found themselves in a work situation Married, but in a work situation and becoming too friendly with people of the opposite sex in his workplace and feeling an emotional disconnect. Please be very, very careful of emotional infidelity. And tragically, it leads often to physical infidelity. And here's David, a man after God's heart, but disconnecting from God in some shape or form, not fully in God's purposes, not out where he should have been. And in a moment of idleness, his heart goes to where it shouldn't go. And he ends up drinking at the wrong fountain. And the tragic consequences are recorded in scripture. Another frequent, tough situation and season can be around money. 
you get married and you each deal with finances in a different way and you've used to being, you're used to being single. Now you're one. How do you deal with finances? You need to be on the same page. Some of the couples in church talked honestly how they struggled in the early years of marriage with debt. And how they needed to seek help and pastoral support. One couple said, even though we were financially struggling, we never, ever let go of God's financial priorities and we still tithe and we still give. Even in the midst of the pressures of financial situations. Here's an interesting one. This would not have been on a list, I'm sure, probably even five years ago. One of the issues in marriages, technology. <laughs> and you're present, you're sitting in the same room, you may be even sitting on the same sofa, but you're miles apart. Because one of you is on Facebook and one of you is playing a game. And you think you've had a date night, wise up. Here is a really good rule that by God's grace, Mandy and I have discovered and we are pretty ruthless with. No technology in terms of smartphones or iPads in the bedroom. Switch them off. You will live. You will waken up in the morning still alive. No matter what's happened on Facebook. Amen? Watch technology. I saw recently a couple together. She's checking out the latest post on Facebook and replying. And he's on Twitter. And they're just slowly gliding apart. Watch technology. Some of the things that perhaps are the rubbish that you need to take out. The next one, please understand me, I'm not saying this is rubbish that you need to take out. Because I'm going to talk about children. (laughs) (laughs) I am not suggesting that children are rubbish that you need to take out. Although sometimes, well, yeah. (laughs) Children are an immense blessing. It's a gift that God gives. If God has blessed you with children in your marriage, be really thankful. Amen? They are blessings. But how often in those early years of marriage when kids come along and there are sleepless nights and you're weary and you're tired and emotionally things are all over the place, there are mood swings. Life still has to go on, but you've got kids to look after. Know how to deal with that well as a couple. And for your encouragement, it doesn't get any easier when they're young adults. (laughs) Children are not for Christmas. They're for life. And my three kids may have flown the nest 
but I still have to work out how to give them emotional time. But in all of that, my priority is God and then my wife. Anybody else want to say amen to that? Thank God for kids. Your priority is God and your spouse. And then kids. Let me do lastly, very quickly, with the issue of loss. The loss of health. It's why we make a promise that we will be faithful and be in a marriage in sickness and in health. And I know we we go in and we make those vows and we think, oh, it's never going to happen to me. It quite possibly will. You need to think ahead. Prepare yourself for ill health if it comes your way. The loss of health, loss in the terms of death. It's why we say, until death us do part. It will happen. You're married. You're going to die someday. Good news. What you need to think through is this. Listen to this. If the most important day in life is your last day, then that's the same for your marriage. So I want those of you who are married to think, what would you like that last day to be like? Because you're not just going to waken up 50, 60 years down the road and that's going to be a great day if you don't work at it now. When my mum, who was the first of my parents to pass away, I was in France, I was seeing some friends and she fell ill suddenly. She was a believer in Jesus. And my dad went to the hospital to be with my mum, his wife, of 50 more years, 60 years. And I was in France, and my sister sent me a photograph. And it was a picture of my dad, who's got the cool name Herbie, <laughs> and my mum, who's called Betty. And they're in the hospital ward, and they know Betty's time has come. And she's confident where she's going because she loves Jesus. And my sister sent me a photograph of Herbie holding Betty's hand and saying goodbye. If you want that to be your last day, You need to work now to make that happen. What's some of the rubbish you need to get rid of? What is the grace you need to invite in so that your last day will be a beautiful day even though it's tinged with sadness? I want us to finish very quickly. This is very, very practical. How do we apply hope? How do we bring God's hope into 
our marriages and into our relationships. Here are some points that have helped me this week. In our marriages, we need to embrace the promises that we have made. Maybe you need to renew your promises. I thank God that Mandy, on our anniversary, in her gentle but firm spirit says, let's say our vows again. And we renew them. And maybe some of you couples need to renew your marriage vows. Just as a sense of saying, thank you, God. You've brought us this far, and we renew those. I've even a crazy thought, what would it be like to have something in church where all the married couples come together and we renew our vows together and we celebrate marriage. How countercultural would that be? Yes. Just a thought. Pray daily. Pray every day for your spouse. God is able. He's able to change the most difficult of marriages. If God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace, if God caused the sun to stand still for Joshua, if he brought down the walls of Jericho, he can do something in your marriage. But you need to pray. Pray for your marriage and pray with one another. Love. Love each other unconditionally. In what ways can I display patience and kindness to my spouse? How can I let go of the resentment? How can I love her with fresh passion and commitment? Examine your affections. I've touched on it already. Are you seeking from your spouse what only God can give? Next, just remember, as you reflect over your married life with thanksgiving, take time every day to reflect upon the things that your spouse is doing that you can offer up thanksgiving for. Either we will stoke the fires of resentment or the fires of love and passion by what we choose to think about in terms of our wife or our husband. Elizabeth Elliot says this, I love this. A wife, she says, if she is very generous, may allow that her husband lives up to perhaps 80% of her expectations. There is always the other 20% that she would like to change. She may chip away at it for the whole of their married life without reducing it by very much. Or she may, on the other hand, simply decide to enjoy the 80% and both of them will be happy. Thank God for what you have and be thankful for what he's doing. Seek counsel. You need in your marriage the wisdom of godly people who have perhaps been married longer than you. Seek out that counsel. Forgive. Forgive fully. 
I don't know what it is in your marriage that you need to forgive. But there's something. And when you offer forgiveness, be sincere. And when you ask for forgiveness, be specific. I'm asking you to forgive me for this. And draw your spice into that moment of forgiveness. And lastly, for all marriages, wait expectantly. Expect God to work. Your marriage might be in a winter season. As you wait upon God, the winter will give way to spring and new life will come again. So you wait with expectation. These are a few thoughts from my own heart and from God's word that I pray, first of all, will bless and encourage and bring hope to all our marriages this evening. I pray that you, who are not yet married, that some of this will resonate in your heart and you will prepare yourself for what will be a godly and God willing, a long marriage. In a few minutes, I'm going to pray. Before I do that, I want to do this. You may be here this evening in church, and as we've unpacked a very real and practical subject, you're sitting at perhaps a little bit of a distance and just wondering, I've never experience this love of God, this relationship. And so as we move now into a time of prayer, I'm going to ask everybody just, if you're willing, just to hold your hands out to receive from God in this moment. And also just to offer up to God your thoughts and your prayers. So if you're willing to do that, just open your hands. And I'm going to ask you to begin to pray through what God may have said to you. And there's people around the room who are doing that this evening. I just want to speak to you tonight if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. The greatest relationship that you will ever, ever, ever experience is the love of God. And maybe tonight you do not know that and you've not experienced it. And I'm asking you simply, I'm asking you simply, are you ready to say yes to God and to invite Jesus Christ in? I want to pray. And if you would like to connect personally with God, make the greatest decision of your life, receive his love and his forgiveness, then quietly as other people pray, just echo these words. Lord God, this evening I come to you. Nothing is hidden from you. God, you know me. I thank you, God, that you love me. And I am thirsty for a deep, 
lasting, life-giving relationship with you, God. I turn to you this evening. And God, simply in my own words, I say, God, I invite you into my life. I receive your love. And I thank you for Jesus who takes away the barrier that keeps me from you and who gives me the free gift of forgiveness. God, I come. Love me. Accept me. Forgive me. Make me yours tonight. As people around the room continue to pray quietly, if anybody tonight has echoed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you simply to do something. Just put your hand up so I can acknowledge you. And I will be delighted just to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm just asking you to pop your hand up so that I can pray for you. I'm just going to wait a minute. Anyone tonight? I don't see anyone's hand up, but maybe you've got questions maybe you have responded if that's the case please at the end of our worship time come and speak to myself or to Dan we'd be delighted to chat with you and to pray for you let me pray for all of us now and then we're going to move into a time of worship guys do you want to stand with me stand to our feet Join me as I pray. Father God, I say thank you that you take the time to speak into my life. I thank you for the truth of your words. I thank you for the hope that I find in your words. God, I pray for help for all of our marriages. That where we have let rubbish come in, that God, we will deal with it. Help us to take out that rubbish. And God, in Jesus' name, will you pour in your grace so that our marriages, every one of them in this room, from this evening, become better and better. God, build stronger and stronger marriages. Be our help in our time of need. Pour out your grace on each one of us. May our marriages in this church thrive, and may they always point to Jesus. God, I ask for your blessing on my friends this evening. 
and those not yet married in whatever relationships they're in with friends or at work God you will pour in your grace that they will live in their workplaces and in their families as people of grace towards all those around them this God is our prayer we bring it to you we say thank you we agree together and we say Amen Cool well we're going to start off with our question answer hour or so um, by asking any of you answering some of your questions about relationships, sex, dating singleness um, I'm getting some questions coming in just now. Uh, we'll put the number up in a minute as well if you want to ask any questions during this time, if you want any follow-up questions. And we'll also take a bit of time to hear if you've got questions you want to just put your hand up. We'll, we'll take a bit of time at some point to do that as well. But I thought it'd be good just to get to know these guys a little bit better so we know who's answering our questions. Um, so guys, could you introduce yourself, what your role is here at the church, and what is your favorite pizza topping? <laughs> Go for it. Ladies first. Okay. Um, hi, guys. My name is Alex. I've been part of Destiny for um, 14 years now. And my husband and I met here, and we have been part of the team that have planted the North location. So we're predominantly over there, which is why I prob- probably don't know a lot of you. Um, but, yeah, we've been part of this church for ages. Um, and my favorite pizza being... It's between just a plain cheese pizza and Hawaiian, but it absolutely cannot be anything that has, like, curry or non Italian authentic stuff on it. Yeah. Well, they, they have it in Italy, so therefore, yes. So I was going to say, but I'll still say it anybody that wants pineapple in a pizza needs prayer. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite pizza is definitely Italian, almost any Italian pizza, probably one with anchovies. Oh, not good for a romantic night out. If, but anyway, um, so yeah, who am I? I'm Paul Graham. I'm location pastor here in Gorgie, and Mandy and I have been in Destiny for five years. Uh, so I know most of you, but for those who don't know me, I'm Peter, pastor here at Destiny. Kicked the church off 20 years ago, and uh, in our living room, and uh, a month before. A month after that, I got married to Angie. So I'm nearly 20, 20 years married to Angie. So that's been our journey. My favorite piece of topping, it's pretty boring. It's uh, chicken and sweet corn. So, but is that good? So a lot of fruit and veg choice. on pizzas. My favorite is none of those things. It's just meat. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so guys, during this time, please do feel free to get your phones out. Um, you can text the number behind me, um, 07717990. Uh, and if you want to ask any questions, put ask at the start of it, space, and then ask your question. Um, sorry if we don't get to all the questions tonight, but we have a bit of time, so we're hopefully going to get through as many as possible. Um, cool. So, shall we get going? Awesome. So, first of all, what can a dating couple do to avoid sex? It's the first question. Who wants to take it? Pete, go for okay. it. They're staring blankly at me, okay? Like, I, I know this more than them. Okay. What can a dating couple do to avoid sex? So here's, here's what me and Angie did. Um, 
we, I guess, like anyone doing, you know, you're red-blooded, you, you've got all these kind of feelings, you're really passionate about each other, you want to go further, you're kissing and you just want to go further, and we, we kind of recognize, okay, we've got to be careful here. So we, we made a couple of rules for ourselves. We made a rule that a, a curfew would happen at 10 o'clock at night, I would say goodbye. <laughs> we wouldn't hang out after 10 o'clock. We made a rule that we wouldn't lie down while kissing, we wouldn't lie in our beds or anything like that. So we did a few times and I thought, oh no, we want to go further, so stop. So uh, we made a rule that we would keep our clothes on at all times. Simple things like this. I even made the rule that, so at that time, I just moved through to Edinburgh. We were just engaged. The church was about to start. So Angie was still studying in Glasgow. So I would travel through and see her um, and then go back and I'd be working as an architect in the city in, in Edinburgh here. And I remember some nights, it was very late, I'd be seeing Ange and we'd be hanging out, and it was quite late at night, and I thought, I've got to drive back to Edinburgh, but I was really tired. So the temptation was, I'll, I'll keep over. But I made a choice. Actually, I wouldn't, so I slept in my Fiesta in the car parking space outside her flat. <laughs> you know, just kind of just a bit over the top, just trying to do everything we can just to not make that mistake, not cross a line we shouldn't cross. So we did kind of silly things like that, but they weren't so silly, maybe. Yeah, I would just add really similar things to what Pete said, but just be really practical. And something that we found really useful was that um, asking each other, like, what do you, what are difficult things for you? So, like, you know, for my husband, it was, like, clothing items. Like, he didn't appreciate if I was wearing a skirt because he found that, like, really difficult. So just... But I was completely clueless, so I didn't realize that that was something that he struggled with. So just be aware of what one another struggle with. And, yeah, definitely don't be in each other's bedrooms, which is really hard when, I think in Edinburgh particularly, there's lots of student flats that are HMO and you don't have a lounge and there's nowhere to hang out um, apart from the kitchen. Um, so that can be really difficult, but it's just, you have to just be really ruthless because, as Pete said, like we're humans and we're designed to, you know, want to be in relationship with people. And something that we also found really helpful was just printing out. We just went through lots of Bible verses about what God said about marriage and relationship um, and printed out a load of Bible verses. And every so often we would just use that as a like a Bible study and just to refresh our minds about actually, no, this is why we are doing this and this is what the Bible says about it. That was helpful. Um, I think both of you have used the word ruthless. And I think that's a really appropriate word because emotionally, physically, you're attracted, you're in love. And if you're in a situation where it's just the two of you, stuff can happen, so you have to be ruthless. And I think keep in mind that the ultimate goal and prize is your marriage and the day when you will be allowed to make love. You have to wait for that and ask for God's help and be ruthless. I think ruthless is really good. One other thought is, um, in terms of just looking ahead, um, when um, Andrew, my son-in-law, asked if he could marry my daughter Shona, um, I gave it some thought and then got back to him and chatted to him and I said, Andrew, Shona is um, my daughter and she is a gift that I'm giving to you and she's a gift that God is giving to you, but you do not open that gift until you're married. And I looked him in the eye, he's bigger than me, so I looked him in the eye. He said, do not open that gift until your wedding day. Did and you have a you gun with you, Paul? Did I have a gun with me? Um, no. No, no okay. I just, had, I just had God, so it's fine. <laughs>
Cool, thanks guys. Please do keep questions coming in. Um, next question. Um, so, you know, we live in society with men and women. Um, how can you have close relationships with someone of the opposite sex with it ne- not necessarily being sexual? Can I answer this? I feel pretty passionate about this. Um, I think, Paul, you talk, touched on it tonight. I think, um, and, and people may disagree with me, but I think it's really important that once you're not even married, once you're in a relationship with someone that you're serious about or considering marriage with, um, relationships with people of the opposite sex cha- have to change. Um, and that is just something that you have to deal with. And if you're not ready to change those relationships, then you need to think about whether you're re- ready for marriage. Because... Um, it's really, really easy to become emotionally involved with people without realizing it. Um, I, I work in a field where, the, you know, you, I work in medicine. There's, you spend a lot of time with other people and not a lot of time at home. And it's at those times you realize, like, I'm seeing more of these men than I am of my husband. Um, these people know more about what's going on in my life than my husband does. And you have to be really, really careful because we are human, we are fallen, we're sinful. It's incredibly easy to just go down the wrong path without even realizing it. Um, So I would say if you're contemplating a serious relationship with someone, you need to change how you relate to other women or men. Um, We had to take this really seriously. Um, Both of us had really close relationships with people of the opposite sex before we got engaged and um, we actually both ended up having to speak to those friends and say, actually, our, the way I spend time with you is, is going to have to change. Um, if you want to spend time with me, you have to be, it has to be with Alex or it has to be with Pete. Um, and some people didn't like that, and we lo- lost those friendships, but ultimately we thought that our relationship was more important than those relationships. So it's really like un- kind of harsh stuff because... Sometimes you feel like, well, it's just a friendship, but actually, again, it comes down to being ruthless and fighting for your marriage, and I think it's really important. I think one other thing is accountability. So you have people, someone, or perhaps another couple that you trust that know you well, and you're able to say, look, at the minute at work, there is something that's uncomfortable, and I need your help, need your prayer, and you need to hold me accountable and you decide with them what are the boundary lines you're not going to cross, and that person then asks you next time they see you, how's it going with that person at work? Um, yeah. I mean, just one last thing to add is just the perspective for church staff and, and ministry in church. Um, so there's 21 people on church staff uh, helping oversee this kind of multi-site church. And what we've, we, we've asked for certain levels of integrity from our church staff. So we say that if you're if you're in a counselling session one to one, that you would typically be in an area where other people are around. So I wouldn't meet a woman one to one in my office. I would, you know, if I'm meeting a woman, I'd meet her either in the balcony or in the cafe area where other people are likely to pass through. If if we're, you know, if you're going to give a lift to someone, I shouldn't give a lift to someone who's female in the car unless there's someone else with me in the car so simple things like that and it might seem <coughs> that's a little bit petty but i'm having to tell you that there's too many bad stories around the world of where people haven't observed certain protocol and they end up in a bad place and i would rather you folks have a safe church for the long term where there's a stability and it's built well 
um, then you have some sort of problem. We also insist that every single church member, church, sorry, church staff person, has Covenant Eyes accountability software on their computers so that their internet use is monitored. So simple things like that. We just want to pre, not that there's problems, but that we're preempting even problems starting. And we encourage an honesty and a level, not like a hush-hush culture, but an honesty culture where people can be honest about any struggles they're having. And that, that keeping things in the light protects the darkness from encroaching. So simple things like that. Uh, and we believe this will build strong. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, our next question is uh, on the subject of divorce. Um, is there any biblical or, or right time or way or circumstances that is actually right to divorce? So Jesus is very clear on this. Jesus uh, gives an answer to this question, and, uh, and the answer was very simply, unless there's marital unfaithfulness, that divorce is not acceptable, and if, if there is a divorce, that it in itself is adultery. And, um, and people stop there and say, okay, that's the only answer that Christians give, or it's the only answer that the Bible gives. But actually, it's not. The Apostle Paul gives a different answer to what Jesus gave. The Apostle Paul says, if a couple are married and one is an unbeliever and the other is a believer, and the unbeliever is willing to live with the believer, then they should not separate. So Paul gives, it's, it's like, Paul, have you just contradicted Jesus? And you suddenly realize they were talking to two different audiences. Jesus was speaking to people who were a Jewish community people. They were the covenant people of God. They were people who knew better. They were people who were people of God. They were in covenant with God, and, and, and they were the Jewish community. Uh, I guess you could say they were God-fearing people. So Jesus was giving advice to two people who fear God and said, you know what, there's no reason why you guys can't work this out. Paul, however, was giving advice into a church at Corinth, which was a church where lots of people come from all crazy backgrounds, and, and not everyone was kind of following God, and some people had come from uh, unbelief to faith, and their spouses weren't saved, and, and, and it wasn't just that we, they had an ideological differences, it was that their, one person's faith and the other person's unbelief was causing huge friction. There were certain things the other person wanted to do that we're not going to do that here, or they were building in two fundamentally different foundations. So actually, it isn't just as black and white as uh, you cannot divorce, because actually... The Bible records divorce as something that God gave us. Divorce wasn't God's ideal, but it was his idea. He put it in the Bible. It wasn't the devil who put it in the Bible. God put divorce in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as a legitimate end to an already dead relationship. And, but just because it's God's idea doesn't mean it's, it's his ideal. It's not. His ideal, Jesus pointed to the ideal, and he says, in the beginning, God made them man and woman and that they were to leave and cleave and become one for life. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's God's ideal. But Paul acknowledges that actually in the middle of an unideal world, there will be times because of fundamental uh, foundational differences, unbelief, belief, and, uh, and, and such like, that actually marriage doesn't always work out. It should always be the, the last possible resort that a divorce takes place. And I think it's become too common and it's too easy an option that marriage should be fought over and fought over and fought over. And you don't, it, you know, if, if, if it was to do with hard times, everyone goes through hard times. You should fight for this thing. And, um, you know, and our, our, culture, our culture celebrates beginnings too much. 
and doesn't celebrate endings enough. It celebrates the falling in love. It celebrates that moment of sexual encounter. That's what the television celebrates, and that's what you're seeing in the newspapers. And that's what, It's all the falling in love and the romancing and the beginnings. But it doesn't celebrate, what about the kind of 40-year-old marriage? It doesn't celebrate that. It doesn't celebrate the, the, the old couple who've just been together for years, and it's not as exciting as it used to be, but they're still together. It doesn't celebrate that, but that's pretty cool. That's old school, and that's cool. It's very, very cool. And I, I think we should be celebrating not just the beginnings, but endings as well. Paul talks about that earlier. Um, just one anecdote. Um, totally agree with what Pete said. Um, this uh, lady had been married, Christian lady, married for 50, 60 years. And somebody asked her, did you ever, ever consider divorce? And she said, divorce? Never. Shooting him? Yes. <laughs> so you need to go into your marriage with that commitment. I am not going to divorce. And I think some people, because we're Christians, we believe in grace, and absolutely we should. But that kind of, okay, there's an option that I could divorce. Mm-hmm. And other than the circumstances that Peter's um, highlighted, you go in with that mindset, this is for life. I am in this through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. Divorce is not an option mm-hmm. other than the circumstances you've unpacked. Cool. Um, next question. It's about singleness and looking to date. How do you get out of the friend zone? Which I don't know if that's a hint to anybody, but um, how do you get out of that zone of like, uh, oh, we're friends, that's all, but you're wanting to date? Oh, I think it's really like, <laughs> it's really, I was having some interesting conversations about this during the week with some colleagues who were sort of just in, the, in, in working life now and they don't have a lot of time to date and don't actually meet anybody um, unless they're at work and they don't really want to date people that are working. Um, so <sighs> coming from a female perspective, I, I would say to guys, like, um, just be, you know, be like um, proactive, not in a creepy way, but like women really, really appreciate as, you know, as much as our society is all about equality now, women really appreciate being pursued. And I think women would say, you know, oh, this guy, he hasn't texted me. Am I, can, I, can I text him? Absolutely. But actually, guys need to hear that we want to be pursued and, you know, you're not being stalkish or creepy by um, texting or getting in touch. We, Alex, really tell them that. what that would be like if they were stalkers and creepy, just, just so they know that, so just in case they, they flip into that in their, but I was pursuing, she told me I could yeah. pursue. No, no that just was like, creepy. you know, so t- tell the a, difference. Like on a regular basis, get in touch with, if you've gone on a date with a, with a, with a girl, like, or, or you're asking, what was the question? How to get out of the friend zone? Yeah, like if you're, if you're friends with someone and you've known them for ages and you want to date them, just be honest. Ask them, ask them out for dinner. Ask them out for coffee. Be upfront and honest with someone. I think that that's the best way forward. There's a lot of excitement in this, like, toing and froing and playing games. That excitement wears off very quickly, and you want to know where you stand. I think especially as Christians, because most of us are thinking longer term and are thinking about marriage. So be upfront, be honest. Um, you, there, you have literally got nothing to lose. I mean, maybe, you know, the friendship will come to an end, but, you know, you, if you want to go in that direction, I think being honest, being upfront um, is really appreciated by both men and women. Cool. Any answers from the guys? No. <laughs> I, I mean, no, I, I, no I, issues I, there. I, I fully agree. I, th- I think 
Um, okay, I, I believe that men and women are different. I don't believe we're equal and the same. I believe we're equal in the sight of God, and I believe we're equal in value, but I do believe we're different. 100% believe that. And I think you're blind if you don't believe that, no offense. And I think it's, I think it's biblical to believe that men and women are different. And what I see in the Bible is that you know, husbands are to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands, love, her, love them, and you know, honor them, respect them. And they see the difference. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just give his life for his bride. He pursued his bride. He took the initiative. Jesus left heavenly realms to find a bride for himself. So, guys, be, be the proactive one. And, but also be cautious. Don't, don't flip into creepy. And I think that's... Yeah. And I, again, you didn't really answer what does that look like. Okay. But you, you, if, you'll, know if you you'll know. She'll tell you. She'll tell you. Or she won't reply or avoid you. But you know, just, just, just know when to stop. But equally, you know, here's the thing. Guys, you don't want to do this because you don't want to have the sorry, I'm not interested in you mm. moment. Because mm. that's a hard moment. But it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. And I think any, well, most women would rather hear that and, and get it out of the way than being dra- that being dragged out. And I think men and women, as Pete said, are different. I think most women are more emotional than men and most women like communication to be open and um so I think that that's really important to acknowledge and to let someone know actually I had a really good time with you or yeah I had a really great time but I don't see like this going anywhere I think that those are really important things to acknowledge um it it prevents a lot of hurt in the long run I think let me just throw out some things just to nail the guys here um don't procrastinate Mm. don't just procrastinate and spend all your time in, in indecision. The Bible says the double-minded man is unstable, unstable in all his ways. Be a bit decisive, guys. Don't be so super spiritual. Wait for an angel to appear to say, she is the one. Okay. Seriously, don't make it... Don't be too unspiritual where you don't pray about things, you don't, you don't read your Bible. Equally, don't go to the other extreme. Be super spiritual and kind of super spiritualize it all. God has made it so that you actually have to get to know someone before you can make an ultimate decision. And he will be involved in that process. But don't super-spiritualize this. So don't be wishy-washy, kind of double-minded, and don't be super-spiritual. Also, sorry, I'm being really talkative on this question. But the friend thing is really interesting because in my experience of lots of people that I know, people who are friends for a while or, you know, to a guy and a girl or whoever it is, they, if, if one person's interested, it's oft, very often the case that the other party is also interested and you just don't want to like go there because you just, you're not sure if that person just thinks of you as a friend. It's very often, I, my experience with lots of people that I know is that actually they, they both are really interested because that's the best way to start a relationship is from a basis of like just friendship um, and you know each other and that's just such a great place to start a relationship from. So if you are interested in someone that you're friends with, I would say just go for it. Cool. Thanks, guys. Um, and I would also add, um, check your motives. Why do you want to get out of the friend zone? Is it just so you can get a relationship and get someone you can be with or actually because you want to be a blessing to someone and to love someone rather than just what you can get or anyone will do? Friend zone, friend zone, friend zone. Maybe check your heart first before continuing to pursue that. Okay. So how does having kids affect your sex life? 
Paul Graham. Well, okay. Obviously, having kids means there is a sex life. <laughs> but it needs to, you know, I've got three kids, but it needs to be more than obviously three times. <laughs> Quickly moving on. What was the question? How does having kids, yeah. Um, I think the impact, yeah. The impact, especially looking back to when um, we had three kids, the impact was, I think, more significant for my wife at that time, Isabel, um, because she'd gone through the harder, more challenging process of giving birth physically, emotionally. After birth, there are lots of challenges and issues. Um, a guy often after that is red-blooded and wanting to have sex with his wife and it's maybe not the time and so that has to be an honest conversation and um, what does that look like um, you have to be honest how long how do I in that season of waiting for my wife to feel emotionally and physically ready for sex again how do I keep myself and how do we do that together so I hope that makes sense. I mean, just a practical tip. It's every, every stage is different. You know, when they're just babies and they're kind of in the cot beside the bed and they're snuffling away or crying, I think kind of kills the atmosphere. Uh, when they're, you know, a, a key time, to, okay, now's the time you need to be in another room. It's when they're up on top of the cot. <laughs> you know, they're, okay, you need to be in another room. So that's a thought. Um, my kids are now teenagers, so we put a lock on our door, okay? Because <laughs> we're, we're often going to bed before them these days. So they, I used to tuck them up. These days, we, we phone them and say, can you guys come and say goodnight to us? <laughs> it's a true story. So they come and <laughs> goodnight, mum and dad. <laughs> so funny. Uh, lock the door while you go out, you know. No, we don't say that. So that weird them out. Um, but, but, you know, every stage is different. So we've put a lock on our door so that, you know, it would be the weirdest thing if they walked in on us. That'd be kind of creepy for anyone. Um, <laughs> just being honest. But yeah, I think Paul's comment about, you know, the reality is sex in marriage should be a regular thing. It should be a regular, awesome, exciting thing. Sex isn't just for having kids. Um, the Bible teaches it's not just for having kids. Song of Solomon's a book that is actually about a relationship and it doesn't mention kids once in the book of Song of Solomon. And the book's all about an amazing, sensual relationship. No mention of kids. So sex, yes, it results in kids, but it also it's for fun. And it's also for deepening union. That's what it's about. Um, so it should be a regular part of marriage. However, your marriage should be built on so much more than sex. Because if it is built on just sex, then you have a problem when kids come along. Because sometimes, for example, your wife, if she's gone through a hard birth, you know, she might not physically want to have intimacy. It might be painful to have intimacy for a while. There's, you've got to give space and time. And so you've got to have a bigger foundation than sex in your marriage. marriage. Sex should enhance the covenant that's there. But covenant is the foundation of your marriage, not sex. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's, it's really, really... It, it, having kids just changes that aspect of your life hugely. Um, and there's no sort of getting around that. Especially, um, I mean, in the, we're still very much at those stages, our son is 18 months, and it, you're exhausted all of the time. Um, you know, generally men are, 
you know, are sort of more physical than the women. So it's more of a physical desire that they have. Um, but even they are exhausted. So, you know, both of your sex drives are going to be different. Like both these guys said, like for the woman, if, if you're giving birth to your child, the physical exhaustion and the physical repercussions of that are huge. Um, your body changes, um, how you view your body changes, how you think your body's being perceived by your husband changes. So there's a, a lot of psychology that goes into that. And I think husbands, you really need to be very, very mindful of that. You need to be really sensitive. Don't just think that, oh, the baby's born, so things are going to go back to the way they were, because they, they aren't. And your wife is probably dealing with a huge amount of emotion and psychology. So just be really, really sensitive to that and communicate, like Paul was saying, just constantly talking about it is really helpful. But one thing I really think is important to say is to women, um, we can often use kids and having given birth as an excuse not to have sex. And I think that that's really important to address because it's it's not an excuse. Um, yes, you need to allow yourself time to heal um, and you need to be it needs to be the right time for you. Um, but you need to acknowledge that actually you do also, your spouse is your first priority. Um, so talk to them about how you're feeling and and when you want to start thinking about sex again. But you do need to be really honest and ask God to give you um, the ability and the grace to do that for them. And maybe, be you know, sex doesn't just have to be penetrative um, in a marital situation. Talk about other ways that you can, you know, be intimate with one another. Um, I think those are really important things to consider. Um, not, yeah, just not using your kids and childbirth as an excuse to, you know, put that off as long as, as you want. Because um, there, there are two parts to that relationship. Okay, well, thanks, guys. Hi, so it might be already answered for a while, for a, a bit, but I'm not married. But um, about talking about uh, infidelity. So we, we have been taught that we always need to forgive. So it might be that you, yeah, you really love uh, uh, your spouse, so you forgive her or him, but then uh, they made the mistake again how how many times should you forgive them or when uh, you should be able to say okay it's not going to work I love you but you, I can't see you are not loving me this is not just about marriage it's more in general for other questions so when is that point uh, the breaking point of I can't forgive you anymore. It's not the right way to say, but you understand what I mean. Thank you. Um, it's a good question, Daniele. Um, so a couple of thoughts. Um, one is, going back to something that was said earlier, that we can very quickly in that situation then say, okay, that's divorce. And so there's no working it through. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. So that, that's an extreme and a very quick response, which I don't think is a good one. If that continues and is repeated and is repeated, then if someone in the marriage relationship is in a situation where they're being abused emotionally because their spouse is just continually, continually hurting them through infidelity, then that becomes a very serious issue. And at some point, 
if that's just repeated and deep-rooted selfish behavior, then you're in an area where serious action has to be taken for the marriage. But even in that, you can still forgive even though you may decide to separate. And I think by God's grace, you have to be able to forgive whatever has happened, even though it may mean a separation in the marriage. So some people are very quick to separate, to divorce, and they still carry in their heart bitterness. You have to have that forgiveness in your heart and then deal with whether the marriage continues or whether there's separation. The phrase that I would have that just kind of links up with what Paul said is that forgiveness is given, but trust must be earned. And so if trust has been broken, then it needs to be earned. I remember hearing years ago we had a men's conference and Charles Neiman was asked the question, you know, if there's an, if there's an affair, um, will it lead to a divorce? And his answer was sometimes yes, sometimes no. And he says, and it's actually not an answer that is the same for everyone. For some people, everyone should forgive, but not everyone's able to trust again. And for some person, by the grace of God, they're able to, do you know what? I'm going to find it within me to trust you again. And that's that's a miracle. For another person, they, they say, listen, I forgive you, but trust has now been broken. And that's the end. And actually then, Paul's right. That shouldn't be a sudden decision. And it might be you, you would hope someone would fight for it, but not everyone's able to. Um, depending on their past, they may have been deeply damaged in the past by something like this, and this is the last straw, you know. So I think every situation is different, but trust, so forgiveness is given, but trust must be earned. Pete, just a clarification from you, please. Um, going back to what you answered about divorce, you said that Jesus said that it's only for infidelity. But obviously you then said about God's ideal, uh, sorry, it's God's idea, not ideal, um, referencing back to the Old Testament. I thought there were four given reasons that divorce comes under God's idea. So just just as a follow-up resource, I did a one-hour talk on this years ago. Um, so you can go on our website and it's in the Matthew... Matthew, I think it's a Sermon on the Mount series on our website, so there's an un- unpacking. And the two key places you want to go is what Jesus said about it, and but Jesus was speaking to the covenant community of people, so these were people who were meant to be following God, believers, in covenant with God and with each other. And Jesus' advice to that kind of context is the only legitimate reason to end is an affair. Paul adds another dimension, and because Paul was working in a, a, in, a, in, a, in a very mixed environment where in Corinth and in various places where they had people coming from pagan backgrounds and different backgrounds, and sometimes marriages were with a <coughs> husband who was a believer and the wife was an unbeliever or vice versa. And therefore, Paul added in another caveat that actually uh, the, the, the huge insurmountable differences that come from unbelief and belief could actually be a legitimate reason to, before God, bring a marriage to an end. And so Paul gives an additional reason. I would go further to say that that's not just ideological reasons. You could have a couple, and the guy says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but then he beats his wife at home. I'd say, you ain't a Christian according to my book. So, so, so I would then say, that would then kick in what Paul says, that uh, even though you claim to be a Christian, 
your actions are proving the case that actually you're not a Christian, mate. You're kidding yourself on. So then I, I would say that's a legitimate reason for an ending of, of a marriage. I also believe that there is a possibility for remarriage as long as the divorce was appropriate. Um, and so it, it, if, if the person was a believer when they got a divorce, if the way they handled that moment was right before God, then remarriage is right before God as well. If the person was an unbeliever when they got divorced, and it, it, may, it may have been the stupidest decision they made, but nevertheless they got divorced, but they were unbeliever, then I believe that remarriage is a possibility as well when they become a... So in, in the Old Testament, yeah, there was some reasons why divorce is acceptable, but Jesus kind of, yeah, and, and there were things that were appropriate, you know, to, to do with, okay, they weren't, they were promiscuous before marriage, and that was only discovered afterwards, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's, uh, another question. Uh, when it comes to discussing things like sex um, and preferences for sex, um, is it ever appropriate or how much appropriateness is it to discuss that, those things before actually getting married? Um, okay, I think, it's, I think it is appropriate. I think you need to be on, you know, you need to be aware of what you're getting, what the relationship is likely to look like um, to a degree. Um, if someone is interested in sexual things that you know you're never going to want to do um, I think it's appropriate to sort of loosely discuss those things um, however there's a danger in talking about sex too much before marriage just like we were saying before um, you know even just talking about it can um, bring difficulties and um, make you want to do things before you're married um, so I think you know, don't use it as an excuse to just indulge those thoughts and indulge that, that side of the life that you're not allowed to have yet. Um, but I absolutely think that there's, um, there's a place for discussing that. Um, I think that place is maybe, once you've, once you've sort of realized, actually, this person is someone that I'm considering, seriously considering asking to marry or being, being in a relationship with um, for the rest of my life, at that point, I think those are, um, that's the time to have those conversations. Um, I'd probably just say something slightly different in terms of um, I think it's better that that conversation takes place once you've committed to be married, not even if you're thinking. So I know there's, there's going to be a great. Because once you have that conversation, which is a really important conversation, then um, you are beginning to imagine and to plan and to think things through that really can only be fully expressed in marriage. And you cannot have that conversation a year before your wedding. That's madness. You need to have it at some point. Um, not too far away, not too close, but you need to have it. And there's good, healthy, biblical, honest conversations to be had um, where you're both at ease and where you talk about um, what does actually making love look like in this relationship. But just be careful when you have that. But you must have it. You must have that conversation. We, one of the things we do is we do marriage prep with people. And so whenever someone gets engaged, the church organized for the marriage prep. And that's group sessions where there's group teaching, but then there's one-to-one -to -one mentoring kind of thing. We're sort of couple-to-couple -couple mentoring that we provide the couple with a mentor couple in the church that work with them on so, through some of these questions. They also, the other thing we do is we recommend a book. We recommend a book by Tim and Beverly LaHaye, 
called The Act of Marriage, which is a very uh, honest and detailed discussion about sex and various sexual things. And it's actually very, very overt. And we encourage people, don't read that months before you get married. Read it kind of the month before you get married, maybe, because it's going to set a whole lot of things off in your head. But it's very honest and it's very helpful. What I would say, just to add into the mix, is this. Alex is absolutely right. You want to talk a little bit about sexual preferences, so you know you kind of they, they kind of know where you're coming from. But at the same time, there's a fundamental question about do you want to have sex and how often that I think is an important question to answer. And I'm saying that as having worked with people over the years who sometimes the husband, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen a wife who is utterly disinterested in sex. And for her, it was only a way of having children. But the husband is left deeply, deeply frustrated and broken and having to battle with a sexless marriage. And I've, and I've seen that, and it leads him into all sorts of sin and pornography and masturbation and even infidelity. I've seen that happen. And, it's a, and then she blames him for the infidelity. And, and absolutely, there's no excuse. But nevertheless, she didn't realize that what she was doing was a huge problem, creating a problem. I've seen it go the other way around. It's not just the, the, the guy wants sex and she doesn't. It's, I've seen it the other way around where, where I've seen guys who are totally disinterested in sex and the wife is deeply frustrated. So they're two major fundamental things. So I would say do not be naive. Do not, do not think that that will solve itself when marriage comes. You need to have that conversation. There's a fundamental conversation. Is that how do you view this thing? If, if, if she's grossed out by it and it's kind of a means to an end of having kids, then actually... Either he's got to agree to that or she's not ready for marriage um, because that's not the biblical view of marriage. The marriage in the Bible is certainly sex is a regular part when possible. So. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, how in, in a dating relationship, if you're in a relationship and you're dating or you're married, um, but those maybe friends or family don't get on with your partner or they don't like your partner, how do you handle that? How do you walk that through? So I'll, I'll just chip in. Um, in the Old Testament, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. That's what it says. In other words, marital bonds are to come above parental bonds. Okay, that's very, very important. And so, you know, when, when me and Angie got married, we, we will always, always, always honor our parents always honor our parents. We always, I always want to honor my in-laws and Angie honors her father-in-law and, and we, we love and respect. But there has been times, and it doesn't often happen because actually we have a good relationship, there's been times where actually I've said, actually, no, that's, that's our decision to make, not, not your decision. And you, you say that with respect. You don't do it obnoxiously. Uh, but you've got to know where, where the line is drawn. When you, when you get married, you are setting up a new family unit uh, where the husband's the head of the home and as a couple, you work it together and you lovingly discuss it through. And this is your new regime. And uh, there'll be things you'll say, I loved how our parents did this. And you bring that into it. That's great. It's wise. Wise to learn from your parents. And then vice versa. It happens both ways. But you have to know you are setting up a whole new entity. And that new entity is going to be your realm and not interfered with. And so if you have parents-in-law who are interfering too much then there needs to be boundaries put in place. Hopefully those boundaries put in place wouldn't sever the relationship. You'd hope that. Uh, but sometimes that happens. And it shouldn't happen, but sometimes it does happen. So parents-in-law should respect the boundaries and just give them space and be there for them 
and give advice when, when asked and when necessary, but should respect. Paul, as a wise parent-in-law, how would you answer that question? Um, one of the first things that you will have to deal with, and it sounds trivial, but it's, it happens nearly every married couple, is Christmas. Mm-hmm. And families fall out on their first Christmas because, oh, we always have Christmas with my mum. Well, I, we always have Christmas with my mum. People don't see it coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. And you need, you're a new regime. You're a married couple. What are we now going to do as a couple? And how do we relate to the wider family? It's a really, really important question. There's a lots of emotions in it. Tradition. Every year we've done this. But now you are a new couple. And you set your own pattern. And you work that out respectfully. And in good conversations with your in-laws. Um, how that works. Yeah. And like I think that continues. Uh, we're 10 years into marriage. And we... This year, we're already having the, oh, Christmas, what am I going to do? And it doesn't stop. And I think that's just part of, of families coming together. But um, I, I would just extend that to say that applies to like almost, that applies to every aspect of life. I, I, found, I think we found it really hard in the first couple of years of marriage where, you know, we were both quite set in our ways. We had, we came from very strongly knit families that had strong traditions and they were often opposing traditions or opposing ways of doing things. Um, and so actually, you know, and both my husband and I are, are stubborn people ourselves. So, you know, it would be like, no, you take the trash out because it's a man's job. And that's what has always happened in my, you know, in my family. But in my family, that, that, that's not what happened. Like, trivial things like that actually can become a really massive thing. So I think what's important is to um, just take a step back and, like, try to see your marriage as a blank canvas and take what's good from your, from your families, but also think, okay, well, what's actually not that big a deal and we can just do things the way we want um, and what is a big deal and um, what does the Bible say about that, firstly, um, and what have our families done that's good, secondly. Um, so just be sensible and take some, um, yeah, take, take advice from uh, the things that are good. Um, but in terms of actually people not getting along and, um, you know, this it's not uncommon. And I think what my advice would be is um, as a spouse, your first priority, like Pete said, is to your spouse now, not to your family. Um, and that can be really, really hard in the early stages when you're still, your loyalty has been for the longest time to your family. Um, and it's, it can be really hard, even though you've made these vows and this commitment to this new person, it can still be really hard to give over your loyalty to a new person and completely leave aside your, your family. Um, and you, you can't help but be influenced by them. You can't help but think, oh, yeah, well, maybe you are a bit weird and maybe you do do that really badly. And I think the important thing in those situations is just come before God with those things and, and just pray, pray, pray for the relationship um, between your spouse and whoever it is. If, if it's your parents that don't get along with them, just pray that God bring breakthrough and my experience is that he, like God is so faithful um, and he doesn't want there to be discord within families. He wants there to be restoration and he has brought restoration to all of our lives. So I think if you just bring those situations before him in prayer, there's very little that you can do, um, but there's a massive amount that God can do. So just praying through it. That's great. I guess maybe going a little bit further with that question, I guess that's mostly in a marriage context with family. Um, for example, how much influence or say should friends and family be on 
this is the right person for you, or you should stay away from that guy or girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, we want to do life together and in a community, but I guess where does that, where does that go? Um, so this is before marriage? Yes, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's really good to have counsel from close friends, but only a few. If you ask everybody, you're going to get 101 opinions. It just shows that you're not sure. Um, a handful of godly, wise Christian friends who will give you some advice, but not everybody. Don't be on Facebook and ask everybody on Facebook. <laughs> what do you think? That's rubbish. Just a handful of well-chosen friends that you can confide in who know you well and hopefully know your future partner well and can speak into your life. Um, for Mandy and I, we... Um, deliberately chose just a handful of people who were um, one couple in particular um, who knew both of us and we just were able to confide in them. Mandy could speak to them on her own, I could speak to them and they were just such wise godly people, they massively helped us. Had we opened that up to a whole group of people we would have got conflicting advice and we would have lost God's voice in the middle of it. So choose godly close friends, a small group and listen out for God's voice. And in the end, you know, you've got to make your choice. You can't say, my friends have said I'm going to marry you, so I would like to marry you. (laughs) God has given me the conviction that you're to be my wife, and I want to marry you. You've got to hear God's voice. Okay, cool. Um, Think about starting dating. What if you're really attracted to someone, but the personal hygiene puts you off? Um, again, I think be honest. Maybe I'm too honest, but I think it's really important. Like, we're ten years into marriage, as I said, and now I'm just honest. Like, if, you know, Pete's breath smells. I give him a mint, and you know, and he looks at me and rolls his eyes. And you know, you just you do get to a point where it's totally fine to be honest. So you can you can start um, if you really like someone and their personal hygiene is. You do it in a way that's gentle and loving, but that's that's part of the relationship, I think, is to start to be honest in, in little ways. Or if you're not comfortable, like maybe speak to someone close to them who knows them well, who is comfortable having those conversations with them. You know, that's what I would say. I think I think also my advice is just take responsibility for you. I think yeah, it's good to take responsibility for you and your own personal hygiene and your own appearance. And you know, again, it's it's the whole thing about don't be super spiritual, but also don't be um, carnal. Don't be kind of secular. So don't don't kind of dress to kill and just try and get people's attention by you know short skirts or or whatever. Um, but equally, don't kind of wear sackcloth and ashes, okay? And uh, be weird and religiousy. Uh, be really cool in the way you dress. Be um, look after your hygiene. Get. Get a nice perfume. Guys, get good aftershave. Sammy, clean well. Uh, just saw Sammy walk in there, so he became my prop. Uh, so I remember the year before I got married to Angie, I remember actually I felt, wow, I'm now going to meet someone and get married. I just, I just knew that that was the season. I just almost like it clicked. I just felt this is the season that I'm in. I'm going to meet someone and get married. And, um, and that's when God started putting Angie in my radar. And I just made a conscious choice. I'm going to get myself some really nice aftershave. Um, so it was almost like a little... I, I sensed that in the Lord it was the time to get married. And I thought, I'm going to now get aftershave. So, <laughs> so is that your top tip to get married? If you're 
If you're single, get some aftershave, guys. So if you guys. suddenly start smelling guys with aftershave around you, think, okay, I think, I think he's on heat. I think he's on heat. He's, he's in season, okay. Okay, how could you stop or encourage to stop your non-Christian friends having one-night stands? Um, so I would say don't. Um, I would talk to them about Jesus. You know, so I, I don't expect a non-Christian to behave like a Christian. I expect Christians to behave like Christians. You know, if you're saying Jesus is Lord of your life, then I expect something different from you. Repent, and I'll tell you to repent. Because following Jesus, either you're a hypocrite or you're genuine trying to follow Jesus. I'm not saying we don't make mistakes, but I'm saying if you're choosing to follow Jesus, then I'll hold you to account, and I want you to hold me to account for my declaration I'm following Jesus. Okay, that's 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 important. If someone hasn't chosen to follow Jesus, then Jesus isn't Lord of their life, and so. I'm not going to. Th- their big issue is God loves them and I want them to follow Jesus. So I wouldn't go messing with the morality. Um, so that'd be my advice. Okay, anyone else want to add? I was just going to say, like, I-, I totally agree with Pete. I think there's no point in trying to to change someone's mind when they don't have the fundamental faith that you have. Um, but actually, just like your example can be a really powerful witness to them. And, um, you know, I've had plenty of non-Christian friends who've asked me about my relationship and why I chose not to have sex until I was married. And and using that opportunity not to make them feel guilty about the way that they've chosen to live, but just using it as a, a way in to the gospel. Um, so we think that's just really important. It's just, yeah, you're not you're not trying to convert them through telling them about, you know, bashing them over the head you shouldn't be having sex, but just to use it as a, if they ask the question, you use it as a way in to introduce them to Jesus. Okay. Um, if you've been in a dating relationship and you've broken up, how do you start to deal with some of the emotions of that? But then also, how do you, how do you move on to a new dating relationship? And maybe how long, how long would you give or does it depend on circumstances? I think you've got to take a step back before that and look at how you do dating in the first place. So if you've done the dating well, then that doesn't become such a problem. So if, 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 if you've done the dating well and you've gone into it with your eyes open and you've had good accountability and you've kind of watched your boundaries and you've you know, sought God in the process and um, you've, you've not kind of jumped in hook, line, sinker without kind of blindly, emotionally, if you've kind of just been wise in it, then if, if, it, if it ends up actually we're not right for each other, then it, of course it's going to be hard. That's, that is hard. But it's going to be a lot easier than if you cross lines you shouldn't have crossed or got emotionally entangled before you should have and all that stuff. So get the first bit right and, and if, then if it doesn't go right, at least then it won't be as hard as it would have been if, you know, that would be my advice. But hey, I realize that's not helpful if, if you didn't get the first bit right and you're sitting here thinking, well, I didn't get the first bit right, I live with regret. Well, thank God for grace. So, uh, but hey, build well from now and, and then the future ones will be easier. And do you know what? It's, it's never easy dealing with that emotion, uh, that kind of sense of horrible void to think, man, I don't have that person around anymore. And the only thing you can do with that is it's, it's, a, it's a journey with God. It's a journey with God. Pray it through. Find God's help. And God, with God's help, you'll come to a better place where you'll be able to move on to new relationships. Okay, thanks, guys. We've got one, one last question, and I guess for, this is for each of you to share. Um, how did you know you were in the right season as a single person 
that you're ready. Okay, I'm ready to get married. Um, okay. Um, so obviously, those of you who know my history, I'd been married um, before to Isabel for 27 years. And then Isabel um, was taken home to be with God after a courageous battle with cancer. So I found myself single. Um, and I had to honestly fight through with God and wrestle with God what his plan was. And God brought me to a point where I surrendered to him, said, God, if it is your will that I'm single for the rest of my life, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> but if that's your will, I surrender to that. And I'd done that previously before I'd been married. So that was a real honest journey I had to have with God. God, I totally trust you. And if your call on my life is to be single, then I, I really need that call. Um, so I journeyed that through with God. I've forgotten what the question was. How did you know you were in the season? How did you know you're ready? Um, so having done that and surrendered to God, I just went on a journey of trusting God. And, and you know, I wasn't looking for someone to marry. Um, and then in circumstances of God's grace and providence, Mandy came across my path, um, and I just suddenly felt my heart being tugged. And so I said, God, what is this? Um, you know, I've lost my first wife. I have to be careful emotionally where, am I, where I'm at. Um, friends, please speak into my life. Help me through this. And then I just got to a season where I absolutely knew this this is going somewhere. This is a serious relationship. Um, and then that was a conversation I had to have with Mandy. Um, so just to complicate it, at that point, I was her pastor. So that's a strange conversation to have with anybody in church. But it was a good conversation. And other church leaders held me accountable, and I was honest with them. We then had to get to know each other as friends because Mandy said I don't want I know you as pastor I know you as this I don't know you as a friend and we just had to go on a journey of being friends and letting that friendship develop and we both came to a season where we knew yeah there's something in this this is definitely right and we're going ahead under God's hand thanks Paul um I, I've come from a very different place I, we um Pete and I met here at Destiny, actually, when we were both really young, I was 19 and he was 20, and we just both started uni. And um, I think, from my point of view, I uh, came from a family where, like, my parents married in their late 20s, and I think in my mind, just because that's what I knew, that's a, what I always thought was going to be my journey as well. Um, but growing up, I wasn't, I was brought up in a Catholic church, so I wasn't, I didn't have like a deep Christian faith. Um, and actually, God changed my heart towards that um, when I, I truly gave my life to him when I, um, when I started coming to Destiny and uh, and met Pete. And, and actually, it was something that I wasn't expecting at that point in my life. And um, we, I just knew I just knew I had a ton of fun with him. We did lots of stuff together in church. We served together in lots of teams, and um, we were just enjoying one another's company, enjoying one another's friendship. And I thought at the time, this is someone who um, shares the same passion for God that I'm sharing and wants to do things for God. Um, 
and I can imagine spending the rest of my life with him. Um, so it, it was almost like, it, I didn't overcomplicate it. I think for me at the time, it was just like a light bulb went on in my mind. And it, it did sort of then trigger a lot of stuff. And like my family weren't expecting me to get married so young because they weren't used to the Christian way of doing things, if you know what I mean. And so that took some, um, that took a little bit of time. And we had a slightly longer engagement for that reason, just to like give everybody a little bit of time to get used to the idea. Um, but it certainly, it just felt right in, in my heart. And um, yeah, so we went for it. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Pete? Um, so I, I think you, you've mentioned an important point, Alex. I think people they have this time, all right, it's when you're in your late 20s or it's when you're this or it's when you're the. And I think you've got to be very careful you don't let those kind of superimposed views start shaping how you view relationship. So it is very much the case in our generation that people get married later and have kids later. But I want to question the validity of that. Nothing wrong with that if that's right for you. But equally, there's something wrong with that if that's not right for you. Um, I don't think you've got to be a certain age to get married. I think you've got to be a certain maturity to get married, right? And I think you can be mature young. So it doesn't mean, and I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, you need to get married young. But I'm also going against the grain of society that says, oh, yeah, you're really, really wise if you wait until you're older. Just have lots of sex while you're young in the meantime. That's not wise. That scuppers your foundation. So when you eventually get married, you don't know who to trust because you're all over the place emotionally. You've got all these soul ties with everyone. So that's not wisdom at all. So actually, getting married young is a good thing, if that's the right thing for you. But the issue is get married when you're mature. That's the point. And so the point I would, the bigger point I would make about how do you know the right season is, you know, if you're thinking about, okay, I, I know what I want my wife to be like. I know what I want my husband to be like. They're going to be this person in the Lord. They're going to have these, this faith. And here's the point I'd make. Rather than going looking for that ideal person, be that ideal person yourself. Be the kind of person that that kind of person would want to be with, yeah. right? Be the kind of radical faith person that that kind of radical faith person would want to be with. Mm-hmm. Have the convictions that you'd want that person to have, but have them in your life. Mm-hmm. So, and don't do that so that you get them. Do that because you love God. Yeah. So live a life that's genuinely satisfied and fulfilled in God. So coming back to my story, me and Ange, uh, we got married when we were 21 and started the church at the same time. And I was working full-time as an architect. That was was the life we were living. It's kind of young. But we didn't feel young. And I I was pastoring people who were sometimes twice my age. So it's kind of a, a mind shift that I had to go through. But actually, here's the thing. I, w- I was very serious about God, about making a difference in my life since I was a teenager because I became clear that the moment I'm following Jesus this is for life and I want to honor God. Make your life all about God. Make your life all about him. And actually, for me, the time when me and Ange fell in love was a time when I was actually, even though I sensed I'm going to meet someone now, I didn't. that wasn't the biggest pursuit of my soul. The biggest pursuit of my soul was actually God. Mm-hmm. I was, that's why we started the church shortly after getting married, because I was already heading in a direction of, of, I really was clear, this is what God's calling me to do. I was heading in a strong God direction when Angie came into my life. So I wasn't looking for a wife. I was looking for what God wanted to do with my life. And then in the middle of that, um, oh, she's the girl. And, And that was cool. So good questions, folks. Yeah, thank you guys so much for your questions. We haven't been able to get through all of them. 
Um, if you do have more thoughts or more questions, um, you can listen back to the series that we've just gone through, hashtag how to relationship. Um, last couple months, it's all on the church website. Um, and two years ago, we did a series called Relate, looking at sort of similar things, but sometimes different angles on different things as well. Really helpful resources. There's plenty of books out there. Um, and if you want any recommendations, do come and chat to one of the pastoral team. Um, pastoral team are available during the week to meet. If any of these things are like, I want to I ask more, I want to get help with something. How do people access that? Then? Um, so you can come and speak to one of us. Um, or on your seats, you see the welcome cards, um, and one of the boxes is meet someone in the pastoral team, and we'd love to chat with you um, and talk things through, point you in the right direction if there's further help needed or, or anything else, or if you want prayer. Very happy to do that. Um, Alex, would you pray for us as we finish? Thanks. Father God, I thank you so much for, um, for tonight, Lord. I thank you for the honesty that we've been able to um, have with one another, Lord God. Um, but Father, I thank you that that comes from you. I thank you that you are the ultimate um, creator. You designed uh, not just marriage relationships and dating relationships. You are the ultimate creator of relationship. Um, and thank you for the ultimate example of, uh, uh, of your son, Jesus, um, that we can relate to him. Um, and that we can see the relationship that you had with him and build our, our relationships upon that, Father God. Lord, we just pray for all of the things that were touched on tonight. Um, Lord, if there's anything that really resonated in people's hearts, Lord, I pray that you um, just allow them to go home and um, uh, read your word, seek your, uh, your heart, Father God, um, about those things, Lord. And um, I just pray for any relationships that um, are here tonight, Lord God. I just pray your um, blessing upon them, your favor. Lord, where there is hurt, I pray you bring forgiveness, Lord God. Um, Father, where there is excitement and joy, Lord, I pray you really spark that fire, Lord God. Um, but Lord, we just pray your blessing upon every relationship within our church, Lord. Um, we thank you so much for all that uh, you are doing within us, Lord God. Um, and we just pray that you really bring those um, relationships to a whole um, new level, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Can we just show our appreciation for Alex, Paul, and Pete for all their honesty and their candor. Thank you guys so much.